The Bible says no man taketh his honor upon himself, except him that is called, even as Aaron was called. Even if you have to live on bread and water and die poor, if God has sent you, you will stick to it. That's, that's fed out with Christianity and God will judge them. Praise the Lord. So, whether we blow, we don't blow, are you with me? We have submitted and consecrated to serve the Lord. Are you with me? I cannot forget another time Jesus came again and said, I have marked you amongst those who will be, be called the great, the wealthy, the famous in ministry. He said, but never you look down on people who seem not to be. Did you hear what I said? He said, never you pass a church and see a small church and say, ah, look at them. They don't know the principles of faith. He <laughs> said, don't try it. Never in your life. Are you with me? Why am I saying this? So that you will know that there is a seriousness of the spirits behind what we are doing. We are not here because um, young people just said, oh, let's, let's just catch them young. No, no, no. God is up to something serious. Everything you do from Monday to Saturday, apart from things that apply to the kingdom, all of them are temporal. Are you with me? But what we are doing is unto life eternal. Are you with me? The word of God, the salvation of souls, and spiritual growth in the same. This is Newbury Christian Community. We began on the 1st of September 2019. Two years. <laughs> Glory! Please help me find out if Lagos is connected. And God has given us a vision to raise a generation with a passion for the glory of Christ. Represent the whole counsel of God. Say, everybody say after me, to raise a generation with a passion for the glory of Christ. Representing the whole counsel of God. Say it after me again. To raise a generation with a passion for the glory of Christ. Representing the whole counsel of God. What does that mean? It means that when God's plan through this ministry is being fulfilled, it will be revealed in the fact that people will have come to the point where they see nothing else that matters except Christ. Are you with me? That Christ will be the reason for their living. That their soul, their spirit, their body, their mind, everything will be submitted for the glory of Christ. Moses speaking about the Lord. He says, as truly as I live, thus says the Lord, the whole earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. What's the glory of the Lord? Christ. That all men will see Christ as God's answer. That all men will see Christ as the reason for their living. That they will spend their lives to serve Jesus Christ. By representing the whole counsel of God. So, what is the, why is the other phrase added? Because we're not the first to have begun this journey. Are you with me? 
There are many other people that God has called in the journey. And sometimes, if you're not careful, you can think the all of Christianity is about prosperity. There's prosperity in it, but that's not all about Christianity. Are you with me? You can think all of Christianity is holiness, but that's not all Christianity is about. You can think all of Christianity is, is healing. Are you with me? You can think all of Christianity is moral lessons. You can, you, you can even think everything about Christianity is marriage. And if you're not careful, <laughs> you can build on one. But is, there is a whole council. Are you with me? Representing what? The whole council of God. The whole council of God. That after few years of being discipled by this work, you will look at your life and there is no part of your life that does not represent Christ. In your marriage, in your business, in your family, in your career, every part of your life, people look at it and say, this is Jesus at work. Are you with me? And how would that happen? That takes us to the mission. You know, a vision is where you are going to. A mission is what you do to get there. So what is the mission? We are on a mission to present all men perfect in Christ by perfecting the saints. Why am I saying all of these things? Because Jesus told me to say it. Why praying early this morning? He told me to say it. Are you with me? Praise the Lord. So see after me, we are on a mission to present all men perfect in Christ by maturing the saints unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Glory! So what do we mean by that? We are on a mission to present all men perfect in Christ. Meaning, they grow to the point where you look at Christ, you look at yourself, no difference. Are you with me? To present all men perfect in Christ by maturing the saints unto the measure of the stature or the fullness of Christ. Meaning, when you benchmark Christ and look at yourself, ah, everything that he is, I am. And that's what the Bible teaches. For instance, John chapter 1 from verse 11. It says, He came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him to them, he gave power to become the sons of God, which were born, not of the will of the flesh, not of the will of man, not of blood, but of God. Are you with me? And that says, in verse 13, And of his fullness have we all received. And grace for grace. Is he on the screen? So what is now reading? I'm my own, sorry. It's well. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Verse 13. Which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Are you with me? Verse 14. And the world was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. <laughs> the glory as of the only begotten of the Father. Full of grace and truth. You know right now, he's not the only begotten of the Father. He's the first begotten of the Father. Because he has brought many sons unto glory. Are you with me? He says, And the world was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glorious of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Verse 15. John bare witness of him and cried, saying, This was he of whom I spake. He that cometh after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. Verse 16, everybody read verse 16. One, two, three, go. <laughs> read that again. 
Hey. Hey. Look at this. He's saying, when you get born again, you receive his fullness. How did you receive it? Grace for grace. So, what he did is, he looked at himself, outlined all the graces in himself and said, okay, if I have this grace, you must have this grace. If I have this grace, you must have this grace. Until he saw that, okay, you are full of what I'm full of. Are you with me? So, what is spiritual growth? Spiritual growth is that, even though God has given you all of that, you must come into the reality of it. Because when a baby is born, that child is fully a human being. When a, a, a female child is born, inside that baby is a womb. Are you with me? But she must grow to the point where that thing can become functional. So, spiritual growth is that all that God has made you already in the spirit, by faith in Christ Jesus, you must come into the reality of it. That's what brings us into ministry. Ministry is to bring you into what God has brought you into. Are you following me? Let me tell you something. Many people are easily distracted. Distracted by money. Distracted by the challenges of life. But can I tell you something? Challenges will never end. No matter how much money you get, you will need more money. No matter how old you get, challenges will never end. End. So what would be the point of your life if all your life was about solving challenges? There must be something more to life. So as we walk with God, what happens is that he will equip us, strengthen us to deal with our challenges so that we can focus on the more important things. Did you hear what I just said? So the miracle ministry of the church is to make the church focus on more important things. So there is healing, there are miracles, there are signs and wonders, all of that that we do so that we can focus on Christ. Focus on his message. Live for him. Spread his message. Get souls saved. Bring them into eternal life because you see, God has judged this world. This world is going to pass away. So, what is God's business on the earth right now is to bring as many people as he can into the life that is to come. Are you with me? This is not my teaching. No. This is what Jesus said I should talk about before my teaching. Don't get distracted. Live your life for something. See, for something bigger. Don't waste your life. Have you ever thought about Christ and what he's worth? There's one song I used to sing those days. I still sing it now. Sometimes I sing it and cry. What can I do for you, my Lord? I want you to know my heart. It's yours. It's not a question of what you can do for me. But what can I do for you, my Lord? Now, that song is so powerful. The reason why he's saying it's not a question of what you can do for me because he has done everything already. It's not about what God can do. He has done it already. Look at what you just read. Of his fullness have we all received. Grace for grace. So if you're not experiencing grace for grace in your life, that means you need ministry. Are you with me? We need ministry and spiritual growth. 
You need discipleship. But what do we have today? See, I, <laughs> I went to my mother-in-law's burial yesterday. You know, this week is, has been very eventful, very cacophonic. So, on, on Wednesday, your wife is giving birth to a baby girl. On Saturday, you are going to bury your mother-in-law. And I, while passing through the place, Delta State, there's a popular ministry there. Name withheld. You can descend. He that has ears, let him know what the Spirit says. I, I, I saw the, the, the banner of the ministry everywhere, even in most local governments. I said, this is what happens when the truth does not prevail. All they know is about people pushing you from your village. And not just that. Some dramatic nonsense. If you know what I'm talking about. Some of you know what I'm talking about. So, <laughs> Do you know that, see, people think ministry is about give rice. That pastor, they share cow, and they share rice, so... Okay, I've given you some idea. No! Because you cannot share it more than the World Bank. There is nothing humanitarian the church wants to do, which we will also do, are you with me? That cannot be done more than the world. He said, I came that they might have life and have it more abundantly. If they don't come into eternal life by Jesus Christ, if they don't come to the point where Christ is everything, after a while they will get tired. Look at many people who are attending church. After 10, 20 years, they are tired. They are weak in their spirit, but don't know. They are sick spiritually. They don't even know. That's why God has given us a mandate to raise a generation with a passion for the glory of Christ. Let me tell you, we cannot be tired. This is Jesus. It will only get bigger. Are you with me? I'm here to invite you into an adventure of a lifetime. Spend your life on the right course purpose on the right course listen we will become wealthy to do what to spread the the gospel more to get to more villages and preach to get more souls saved to get to more countries and preach because what's the point you bought a Range Rover you built a house which you will do and all of that but after you do that if that's all your life is about it was vain because you will die and leave it. Either things will happen in this world that will take it away from you or you will die and leave it. So what's the point? If, if you don't take, take time, you will be like Solomon says, vanity. All is vanity. Do you know what it means? You think it's about women. You think it's about having sex. You will have 1,000 and you say it's vanity. You, can, you cannot handle 200. <laughs> Somebody handled 1,000. I told somebody, the person came and said, Try this, they talk for me, oh, Pastor. I said, Do you know your bailout? Your bailout is to be relevant to God's plan. Tell you, forget about that thing. For, for this world, eh, is, no, is, non, is nonsense outside Christ. Forget about that challenge and say, Me, I will spend my life. This Jesus, I will serve him. You will see how you would move. It may not happen overnight, but it will happen over time.
you will see how you move eh, from nothing. How your life, let me tell you, the reason for prosperity, for health, for intervention, is not just for the, uh, uh, just enjoy. No, it's for the purpose of the kingdom. That Christ will be glorified. That men will see Christ. When you make yourself relevant to that purpose, your, see, your state must change for you to be relevant. He will change you. I went somewhere to minister and they were like, it was young ministry too. They're about a year plus. And I told them, I said, that pastor was a rich pastor. <laughs> I said, amen. If you know how my account balance moves, some of you may cry. <laughs> but the cause of the kingdom, Christ, spend your life for Christ. The reason why we go to invite people to bring them, to get them, is because, listen, they have to see. We are not competing with our church. We are competing with the unsaved. You don't know what the devil is doing. He does everything to him. Anything that can get the attention of men, he will make it loud. He will make football loud. He will make P-square, David, all those people. You'll be wondering why they are so loud. No, what he's trying to do is that he's trying to drown. He's trying to make so much noise to drown the voice of Christ in every generation. Check where. That's what he's doing. In Europe, people don't go to church on Sunday. My Pastor Victor, they, they don't go to church on Sunday. On Sunday morning, they are going to watch football. Why? He doesn't want Christ to be glorified. He doesn't, because if men can see that this is all they, live, they need to live for, they, see, when one man, one man that gets this thing right, eh, he can influence a generation. <laughs> then imagine a generation that gets it right. The gospel is here today because after the dark ages from 1400 to 1900, some, a generation stood up and said, no, there is, there is the Holy Ghost. We must begin to pray. In 1900, William Selma, J. Selma, and all those who Charles Parham, they started praying and praying and praying. They said, nobody speaks in tongues. There's nothing like speaking in tongues. They said, but the Bible said it. And they started. And all, all of a sudden, I'm sure of you, you can recognize the Donatus in the house. <laughs> My assistant preacher. Praise the Lord. Man of God, can you play that video? Are we ready? Just be working on it. So, I, I, are we together? I'm saying this so that you know the sense of mission. Jesus said, put their house in order. They need to get the sense of mission. The sense of mission. This thing is not a call to build an empire. We're, see, we are not trying to make ourselves famous. The issue is that you cannot do this work without striving for fame. Not fame for the worldly reasons. Are you with me? You have to strive for influence. Let me tell you the truth. They think, you think, we think that the church has as much influence as we need. No. We don't have enough. Check where. <laughs> If you know what's going on in the world, in a nation like America, some pastors preached against lesbianism. They were called to the court. They had to come and explain. Some of them were jailed. They had to bail them. In Nigeria, 
just preach some things against the government and see if they will not. When, what is his name? This Anglican bishop, Kuka. Kuka says something, he starts on The president replied him. They told him, drop your cassock. <laughs> and they replied him. But you couldn't do that in the days of Idaosa. No. You couldn't do that. <laughs> and the glory of Christ, we, you see, we, we need to, that's why we need to disciple men. There is a way a generation will be so passionate about Christ that you will be feeling weird for not being spiritual. Yes. You will be feeling weird. When I was in university, my set did it so, it became so bad that if you're not, if you don't know how to speak in tongues, you'll be feeling weird among us. Because when we're entering inside the class, mechanical engineering boys will be entering rakata, pata, palama, shata. You'll be feeling like, hey, wait in the apple now. I know Sabi speak. Teach me now. How did it happen? My class, we came to class. I found out that my hostel friends, all of them, they were not spirituality. So I began to preach. And after one semester, you know, when you are staying close to a prophet, every day, morning to night, something must happen to you. If something doesn't happen to you, is that something is wrong with me or something is wrong with you? <laughs> after one semester, they all, my, all, all my floor mates came to my room and all knelt down with provisions and said, you changed our lives. This one said, I was a smoker. I used to drink. But you never told us stop drinking, but the, the, we... We saw Christ at the point. He became, Christ became so sweet, we forgot how to smoke. Our den, we used to have what is called floor devotion. 10 o'clock to 10.30. Our own, we start by 10. We end by 1. By the time I lead worship, pray, we teach. I will teach in Christ. Christ in you, I will teach. Revelation, we burst out like this. You see the guy shout, yay! After one semester, they forgot how to smoke. They forgot to drink. They forgot everything. See today, see today, they are still on fire. So I, I'm calling you onto an adventure. Are you with me? As the armies of God in new breed. Are you with me? Say, Lord, I'm ready. I cannot hear you. Say, Lord, I'm ready. Lord, I'm ready. Lord, I'm ready. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you. Lord, as we look at your word, we are blessed, we are changed, we are edified in the mighty name of Jesus. So throughout the month of April, thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Throughout the month of April, we have been on a journey of truth about the grace of God in Christ Jesus. We began by showing how grace is a revelation then we show that grace is a gift. That was under the teaching undeserved. Then we explain more that grace is lavish. See, the Lord is your strength. Amen. In this church, we study Bible. Amen. In this church, we study Bible, we pray. Hallelujah. What we did in this morning of prayer is called tip of the iceberg. There are times we pray for 10 hours, for 12 hours. Then in this church, we worship. We, you can worship a lot. Hallelujah. In this church also, we have plenty of miracles. All types of miracles. All kinds. From healing miracles, issues of blood, crippled, all manner of things. All things have, see, all we, miracles. 
Are you with me? Both Portacot Lagos. I, I can't re- recover from that testimony. How can our Lagos church, they were doing evangelism. You are sharing tracks. Somebody saw you sharing tracks, listening to you. Halfway into the, into the sermon, the man stood up. He stood up. How can a Muslim be passing the church, saw the signpost and said, I'm supposed to enter this church and came and got born again. Pastor Henry is still doing discipleship for him. So, we pray, we study Bible, we worship, we have miracles. Amen. And we serve God. Glory! So, this, there is a Bible study service on today's schedule. Hallelujah. Amen. How many of you have been blessed by the series so far? If you have been blessed, just raise your hand well. Then we show that grace is a gift undeserved. Then we explain more that grace is lavish and that we've come under the reign of grace. Then we show that grace is just. That was Easter Sunday, equity. Then on Thursday, we went deeper to explain that grace is a teacher. <laughs> See, how many of you went back to watch that thing? Go back and watch Thursday's teaching. Thursday's teaching, see, is the, is the much needed balance on the teaching of grace. And I think the way our response is, I will have to continue from there again. Hallelujah. Now, why did we have to include that teaching that grace is a teacher? Because there are millions of people all over the world who the revelation of God, of God's grace, was brought to them as a license to sin. They think that when we tell them that Christ has paid for all your sins, your past, your present, and your future sins, we are saying that you can continue in sin. They think that when we tell them that God's grace for you is lavish, that God does not have anything against you, He loves you with an everlasting love, He, has, he wants you to be close to Him. They think we are trying to tell people that, listen, go on sinning. No. They think that grace is a license to sin. And I had to take time to open the Bible and show us that it's not so. Praise the Lord. And you can only come to that conclusion when you don't fully understand the ministry of the grace of God in Christ Jesus. So what is the ministry of the grace of God? It is to completely remove every trace of the consequence of sin. To completely remove every trace of the consequence of Adam's sin and sins in men and bring us into the fullness of God's experience for us in Christ Jesus. Are you with me? And for that to happen, he won't just forgive our sins alone. Like I said, the grace of God doesn't just forgive sins alone. After our sins are forgiven, he does something else. Titus chapter 2. Titus 2. Praise the Lord. I told God, you called me back, I will serve you. In season and out of season. If we cannot finish the teaching today, we will continue tomorrow. Uh, Time of instance. When we pray and worship, we will start teaching. We will stream it online. If you cannot finish on Monday, we will continue on Thursday. Then Friday, Saturday, Sunday, avalanche of miracles. Prepare. No too much teaching. That one is worship and power. Worship and wonders. Praise the Lord. Titus 2. 
verse 11. Is he on the screen? Titus 2, verse 11. 1, 2, 3, go. Salvation hath appeared unto all men, teaching us that, pause, start again. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that, denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. Do you see that? Shout glory! Does this look like a message that encourages people to sin? He's trying to tell you that the grace of God that brings salvation will also teach you how to deny ungodly lusts. It will teach you. You know, and I gave an example of how the grace of God works. And I gave an example that when David was anointed king, when the oil came upon David, when Prophet Samuel went to anoint the new king and anointed David as king, that David's life changed. And one of the proofs that David's life changed was his response to Goliath. Every other man, when they heard the threat of Goliath, were saying, ah, we be dead men. Let's find a way and hide. But David came and heard the threat of this gigantic being. And he was not asking what to be done for the person that will kill this man. First of all, that you ask that question, you're not normal. Are you with me? Something has happened to David that is teaching him a different response. A different response. Grace had come upon David. Now, this is, the, this is under charismatic grace. Are you with me? You know, what we are talking about is saving grace, but truths are parallel. This is charismatic grace now. David received the impartation like we will receive next week Sunday. Maya, ta, ta, ta. I wish I can share some testimonies, but our time. David received the impartation and he began to ask what to be done for he that will kill this giant. You know what was happening? Grace was teaching him. All of a sudden, how can you be in front of Goliath? Eh? And the Bible says David took the sling and ran towards him. You're not supposed to be. You, normally, if you're going to fight Goliath, you'll be going like this. But the Bible said, check, you can, on your personal time, you can read 1 Samuel 17. He said he took the sling and ran. He ran. Grace was teaching. It was instructing. Instructing him. So, in the same vein, when you receive saving grace, that grace will begin to instruct you. The same things that excited you, all, all of a sudden you are getting angry. You look at it and, I'm not supposed to do this thing. I'm not supposed to do this thing. Are you with me? Except I'm instructed. Except I'm instructed. Except I'm instructed. And how is that possible? We explain that the reason why this can happen is because when a person gets born again, see, your sins are not just forgiven. You have become a new creature. So let's look at I'm stylishly repeating Thursday's teaching. Let's look at Romans 5. 
Romans 5 from verse 19. Now, Romans 5 is actually a treatise on the, the glories of the grace of God. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. It says, for as by one man, for as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Hallelujah. That means you were not made righteous by any good thing you did. It is by the obedience of Jesus Christ you became righteous, right? That is grace. On your own, you cannot earn it. But by Jesus Christ, it has become yours. Hallelujah. It says, verse 20, Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. But where sin abounded, grace did abound much more. Say after me, much more. But where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. Now, this is the verse that many people lift out of context to suggest that God even wants us to sin more so that his grace can abound more. That's wrong. Because what he's trying to say here is not that we should sin more and the grace of God will abound more. It is that no matter how far you've gone in sins, the grace of God is available to bring you back. See, all the sins you have committed will not be as powerful as one drop of the blood of Jesus Christ. Are you with me? Don't forget, it was a drop of Jesus' blood that touched the earth and it began to rattle when he was on the cross. How much more all of it? So your sins are not as powerful as the blood of Christ. He will wash it and it will be as though it never existed. It will go from just atonement of sins to remission of sins. See, have you ever thought of the word justified? That word justified does not mean forgiving. Forgiveness means that this is a sinner. You come and say, I'm sorry. I'm the one that did it. I, I was the one that did this. Eh, please forgive me. And they say, you are a very stubborn boy. But we are going to forgive you. But you did it. Justification is, they said you did it. But when we came and analyzed the situation, we said you did not do it. That's justification. You have been declared not guilty. The Bible says, Jesus Christ, in Romans 4 verse 25, it says, Jesus Christ was delivered for our offenses. Romans 4 25, everybody, Romans 4 25. Romans 4 verse 25, are we together? He says, he was talking about Jesus Christ here, who was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. Now, this looks like a contradiction because if people had offenses, you are not supposed to say they were justified. If they had offenses, you are supposed to say, ah, he was delivered for our offenses and was raised for our forgiveness. Do we have forgiveness? Yes. But much more than forgiveness, we have justification. Meaning, our sins are not just forgiven, we have been declared not guilty. Wow. Sometimes we have been justified. And how is this made possible? It's made possible because after your sins were forgiven, there's something I did not teach when I was teaching in Christ Life Conference. After your sins had been forgiven, that old man that had sins that was forgiven now died in Christ. <laughs> and he died as a seed of redemption so that the new man will be born who is a fruit of redemption. 
carry on without any past. Romans 5, verse 19. It says, For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Say after me, I've been made righteous. It says, Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. Meaning, the law came to reveal the depth of sin. So, the law entered that the offense might abound. But where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. Hallelujah. So, how will you know that the grace of God is powerful? When the grace of God meets situations that look like it cannot even overcome it, yet you now see that person change. People who look like they will never be able to change or, or repent, the grace of God came and changed them. And they became, see, when we hear testimonies of people saying, I used to struggle with this sin, but now I'm free from it. That is actually a display of the grace of God. Those are the testimonies that we have to share and, are you with me, and rejoice. Those testimonies of the work of Christ in changing a sinner man to a righteous man actually is more stronger than the testimony of buying a car. Are you with me? It says, where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. So that means no matter how it looks right now in your life, the grace of God can change it. He's trying to show you the lavishness of grace. That the grace of God is elastic enough to save somebody who was partially a good person and to also save somebody who was the chronic of the chronic in the same vein. The grace of God can pick a man who looked like he would become nothing and turn him to something. Are you with me? A man who looked like there was no hope for his life, future, and destiny, the grace of God can pick him and make a complete story out of him. Receive grace. Receive grace. When I say receive grace, say after me, I receive. Receive grace right now. Receive grace right now. In your finances, receive grace right now. Receive grace right now. In the name of Jesus, I declare over you, go forward. Go forward. Receive grace for speed. Go forward. In the name of Jesus, he's restoring to you all the years you have lost. Receive the grace for restoration. Because of his fullness, we have all received. Grace for grace. That grace that restores all the wasted years, the lost opportunities, receive right now. In the name of Jesus. Say after me, I receive. Say after me, I receive. This grace of God, it abounds much more where sin abounded. <laughs> he now says in verse 21, that as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. That means right now we are under the reign of grace. The grace of God reigns as a king over our lives right now. Thank you, Father. Just pray in tongues one minute. If you can't pray in tongues, just tell the Lord, Lord, my eyes are open to see. My eyes are open to see. My ears are open to hear. In this service I receive. All that you've planned for me. Kalamande repe kalamandas. Kolemanda rapakatoshi katalabade. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Chapter 6, verse 1. He now says, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? 
So he's actually trying to say, if you get the grace message properly, if you understood Romans 5 very well, it means that the grace of God is available no matter how tough your sins are. <laughs> he's like, what shall we say? I'm forgiven. My sins are paid for. Say after me, my sins are paid for. I've been forgiven. God has no issue against me. By the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, I have been accepted. I have been accepted. Glory! He says, what shall we say then? Because now, I've been forgiven. My sins have been taken away. My, my past, my present, my future has been covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. What shall we say? Shall we continue in sin that grace to abound? Because first of all, the grace of God abounds. Tell me the grace of God abounds. Tell me the grace of God abounds. It has forgiven me. He has made a way for me. He says, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? He said, what shall we say? Shall we continue that grace may abound? Because right now, we have seen that the grace of God abounds. But shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Is it because hypo is a good cleaning agent and it has cleaned all my shirts? That means I should test it again by trying to soak my shirt in engine oil. <laughs> if you try to do that, someone say, is there something wrong with you? So he's trying to say, is it because this grace is now available that we will continue in sin? Verse 2. What is the response? What is the response? Shout it out. Shout it out. He says, God forbid! How shall we that are dead to sin? Kai, kai, kai. So, it's not just because you don't want to sin. He says, you are dead to sin. He says, how shall we? This thing is beyond just trying to act nice. You have a new nature. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? How shall we? Like the example I gave, imagine you had a friend that both of you used to play football together and painfully you lost him and he died and you went for the burial and they buried him. Then you went to the football field the next day and you saw him again. You have to do like this. How shall we continue this football when we know that you died yesterday? <laughs> Are you with me? How shall... you? He's your friend though. You were friends before. But after his death, if you saw him on the field again, he said, guy, come now. I say, are they come? Are they come? Are they come? <laughs> you want to go and check yourself if something is wrong with you, whether you are, you are mad or you are insane or something, or you are high. He says, how shall we that are dead to sin? That means right now, you are dead to sin so that when sin is coming, that's something like this. You don't die now. What did you come do here? Are you following me? How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer there in verse 3? Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? Ah, listen, baptism is not just about water. It's stronger than water. Are you with me? Baptism is actually the spiritual way through which God makes you and Christ one. Such that in his death, your old man died. In his burial, the body of sins was destroyed. And in his resurrection, you became a new man also. So how is it that Jesus Christ would have died to 
2022 years ago and it becomes your lot and portion it is that when you say father i believe in jesus christ in the spirit god baptizes you into him so that what he did becomes your own part are you with me you can now receive what he did that process is doctrinally called baptism and that's what john was demonstrating in putting him in the water and coming out listen that was just demonstration i can't talk about that today in jesus name You know the funny thing? There are human beings today who have entered water, but they have not entered Christ. Uh, I can't talk about They have entered, they've changed their, their baptismal name is Sebastian. <laughs> they, they, they changed the name from Ukolo to Christopher after baptism, but they have not entered Jesus. Talk for another day. He says, Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? Verse 4. Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so, we also should walk in the newness of life. So, because he has been made new, if I believe in him, I've been baptized with him. That means if he was made new, I was also made new. Can I tell you something? This is the kind of revelation that changes you as a Christian. When you begin to see yourself like this, ah, you must change. And if you're not changing, there are more things we need to talk about. God, can we finish in this service? It's obvious we can't, but we'll try. Verse 5. He says, for if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. Are you seeing that? Romans 5 is talking about the blessings of grace. But Romans is explaining to us the structure of grace. That listen, this is not just about your sins are forgiven. And you just say, okay, my sins are forgiven. I can go and do anything I want to do. No. After your sins have been forgiven and you've embraced the grace of God, something else happens. God begins to change you. That death, burial, and resurrection was not just for the fact that your sins were forgiven. It was done so that in the end you become a new person. A completely different person. So, grace is not just forgiveness of sins, but separation from sins. Are you with me? It says, for if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. Hallelujah. Verse 6. Knowing this, are you seeing what I just told you about? So, there has to be a consciousness. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed. Remember, I said on Thursday, he did not say the old, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the sins of the body might be destroyed. Instead, he said the body of sin. What does that mean? It means the structure of sin. That the body of sin might be destroyed. That henceforth we should not serve sin. Verse 7. He that is dead is freed from sin. So if you are a genuine believer in Jesus Christ, the Bible says you are freed from sin. <laughs> so I am freed from sin. We'll come back here. But let me answer another question that people have against the grace message. So there's another question. They say that all these people that are preaching grace, 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 they're not talking about works. That's that. Jesus said, He's coming to judge every man according to his works. 
The Bible says about works. What about works? That is grace. Not against works. So, the problem is that the Bible was not rightly divided for them. So, we'll go back to the popular grace scripture, Ephesians 2. Which we have been hammering since <laughs> the, the first time we introduced this message. The first week of April. Ephesians 2. From verse... Ephesians 2 is too sweet. I don't even know where to start from. Because of time, I will start from verse 8. Ephesians 2 verse 8. Are you there? Say after me, I'm blessed. Say after me, I'm blessed. I know some of you are not used to hearing the Bible like this. But this was what the apostles were teaching. You know, a lady met me. She's quite elderly. Not in the sense of 80, 90. I mean, she's in between her 40 and 50. She met me. She said, I've been going to church for the past 20 years. There are some verses of the Bible you open I've never heard. <laughs> she said, ah, how come I did not see this verse? I said, eh, it's, you're, not, you're not doing Bible study. I'm painfully enough. Maybe you're not around people who are going to encourage you. Lord, we are strengthened in Jesus' name. We are strengthened in Jesus' name. Ephesians 2 verse 8. It says, for by grace are ye saved through faith. Sometimes I'm saved by grace. It says, for by grace are ye saved through faith. And that's not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Verse 9. Not of works, lest any man should boast. Are you seeing this? Everybody read verse 10 now. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath ordained that we should walk in them. What's going on here? You are not saved by good works, but when you are saved, you must produce good works. Are you with me? So, listen. The example I always give is, if you have not gotten admission into a university, and you went to the university and attended all the classes, do you know that you don't have a result? No matter how much you attend all the classes of a school, if you don't have admission, <laughs> it's, it's tantamount to nothing. Attending classes of a school does not give you admission. Are you with me? Until you've applied and you've gotten admission and paid acceptance fee and received admission later, you don't have admission. So, in the same vein, good works is not what will get you saved. If you like, go and be giving things to everybody. If you don't surrender to Christ and see your helplessness in sin and his supremacy and sovereignty to save you. If you don't get to that point where you see that only Christ can save you and you surrender to him, if you like, do all the, be nice to everybody. You are not saved. The only way you will be saved is when you see that Kai, I'm a sinner. He was righteous, but he took my place so that I would take his place. Are you with me? Remember that man on the cross with Jesus? He said, we, we, are, we are dying because we are sinners. He said, but this man, he's a just man. Yet he deserves to die. Immediately his eyes was open to die. What does Jesus tell him? He says, today you will be with me in paradise. Meaning, how does a man get saved? A, a man gets saved when it dawns on him that 
by his own sins he deserves to die but jesus christ has died to take his place are you with me and he resurrected to give him justification so when a man gets to the point where he can see christ as god's answer he will be saved he will be saved but if he thinks that, oh, when I do this and do that, if I cover my hair, if I don't wear lipstick, if I don't use big earring, if I do like this, if I walk like this, see, you now hear they go. <laughs> There's one time one woman came. See, anywhere that woman is, she'll be crying for me because she's finished. See, Sister Linda, you died and went to hell. And they told you that if you, somebody, if you, people use Vivon, if people use wig, they are going to hell. Trash! What are you saying? That means Jesus, the wivon made by man is stronger than the death of Jesus Christ. What are you saying? One called herself, uh, that if people eat sardine, they are going to hell. What are you saying? Sardine is bigger than the cross of Jesus Christ. You, 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 think, that it, you think that salvation is that, is that cheap? Is that easy? Is that easy that you can just wear lipstick? Let me tell you, before the fall, there was no need for clothes. Before the fall, there was no need for... People were naked and did not... Adam and Eve were naked and did not know. How come clothes after the fall will not be able to make up for salvation? How? You think it's that easy? No, you think it's easy. You say, if you, if you cover your head, all those things. There is only one way a man must be saved. By faith in the finished work of Christ. He, was, he died for my sins. He was buried and he rose for my justification. You must see that after this thing, there is nothing else for you. That's how you receive salvation. It is after that, God will now make you a new creature and then you begin to produce good works. So you are not saved by works, but when you are saved, you will produce good works. Are you with me? You are not saved by works, but you are saved for works. Praise the Lord. Tell me I'm blessed. Can I tell you the truth? Somebody say, but this thing you are saying is not that popular. People are not saying it. Let me tell you the truth. Because the truth is so precious, it is guarded by many lies. It takes, see, if you're not diligent, you will not find the truth. You'll be easily deceived. I cannot forget my 200 level. I put, I saw a clip on YouTube where one Indian girl, she said, and Jesus came to her and Jesus told her that my people are not praying, they are not fasting, and my people are, they are watching cartoons, their children are watching cartoons. This one is happening. That's why they are going to hell. That people are, me, I, I cried. I was crying. I said, God, that people don't know what to take them to hell. I was crying. Oh, God, show me that thing. Show me that thing that will take me to hell. Show me that thing that will take me to hell. One day, I was not sitting down. And I asked myself, say, wait, oh. This is a stupid prayer, oh. <laughs> Which teacher will a child, he give, they give the child assignments in school. Ten questions. The child saw good, 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 good. Then he now saw six over ten. Then he now went and showed the auntie. Auntie, I had six over ten, but you marked me good in everything. This teacher will now tell him, there is something you feel, but you don't know. There is something you have done that will make you feel that you don't know. How will the teacher look? Won't you ask yourself, maybe there is coin, coin? How can we also now be saying that God... 
We stand up to hell for what we don't know. There must be a clear-cut reason why people will go to hell or go to heaven. So I, I had to launch a search. I searched for years. Oh. Ah, I searched for years. And sometimes because of my own deep encounter with God, I was having some encounters that was making it difficult. So I remember when I, had the, I saw the, the rapture in the spirit. And I was wondering what, what, what to make people miss the rapture. I had to keep on studying. It was 2017. Kai, I, it began to dawn on me. Oh, 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 oh. There is no other way under heaven given among men whereby men must be saved but by the name of Jesus. Matthew chapter 5. If your righteousness does not exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees, that shall you no wise enter into the kingdom of heaven. Oh, but the Pharisees were the perfect people of the law. How come he's saying if your righteousness does not exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees? Because the only righteousness that can beat the righteousness of the Pharisees is the one given by faith. The, those ones, you cannot match up to the Pharisees. Oh no, they kept the entire Torah. For you to become a Pharisee, you must have come the entire book of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. Are they your mates? Those people, when they are writing the name of Jesus, they will wash their hand, they will write Yeshua. When they are done, they will wash it again. So, it says, if you enter into the kingdom of heaven, your righteousness must pass their own. How will you pass their own? Naturally speaking, you cannot pass their own. If you will pass their own, God must give you his own. And by faith in Jesus Christ, he has given you his own. See, it, it was as if his case fell I began to study the Bible. I was like, hey, hey, hey. It was one message throughout. One message, one message, grace. Salvation, faith, salvation by grace through faith. Oh, oh. I've now begun to understand, okay, this was why Cain's sacrifice was not accepted. Because it was not figurative of Christ's work. People said Cain brought spoiled cocoyam. It's a lie. Cain, the Bible says he brought the first things of the farm. So it was good. But the problem was that Abel's own, he, he came by, by the pattern that God has ordained. The pattern was that God would slay his son, which would be the slain lamb. Abel brought a slain lamb and God said, you are accepted. Anything you bring apart from the slain lamb, you are rejected. I saw the thread. Ah, ah. Salvation is by faith, not by good works. The grace of God freely bestowed upon us. So where does good works come in? When you have become a new creature, he will now prepare you to do good works. Are you with me? Are you ready for more this morning? Time, time. Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews 4. So, God is not against us doing good works. In fact, God wants us to do good works, but not of our own self. He wants us to do good works by his own power. Are you with me? Any good work you did without the strength of the spirit is called morality. Can I tell you something? There are many moral people who are going to go to hell. I don't kill, I don't steal, I don't smoke. I'm a very principled man. I know what I'm doing, I know where I'm going. Listen, I have some principles that guide my life. I'm a man of justice and equity. Listen, you are from Adam, you are a sinner. <laughs> I'm a principled man, okay. What about the thoughts of your heart that you never executed? 
you think you, you don't know the justice of God. Hebrews 4 from verse 10. Hebrews 4 from verse 10. It says, For he that is entered into his rest has ceased from his own works as God did from his. So, in salvation, we have come into rest and we have ceased. We have not ceased from good works, but we have ceased from our own works. Hmm. We have ceased from our own works. Now, to understand this verse, do you have any other translation? Living Bible, Amplified. So we are going to do a small reading from verse 1. You have Living Bible. You have NLT. Okay, give me NLT. Good. You know, I, I told us before we started that we are this church. We the study Bible. You are strengthened in Jesus' name in this church. <laughs> Amen. Okay, NLT. It says, God's promise, can we read it together? God's promise of entering his rest still stands, so we ought to tremble with fear that some of you might fail to experience it. Verse 2. For this good news that God has prepared this rest has been announced to us just as it was to them. Pause. So he's saying the good news that God has prepared rest was announced to us just as it was announced to them. Who is he talking about? The Israelites. Are you with me? So, in the gospel actually is an announcement of the fact that God has called us to come and rest. Are we together? For this good news that God has prepared his rest, let's continue, has been announced to us just as it was to them but it did them no good because they didn't share the faith of those who listened to God. That's three. For if we believe we can enter his rest, as for the others, God said, for if, for we only who believe can enter his rest. Did you see that? Did you see that? Let's read that again. One, two, three, go. For only we who believe can enter his rest. Read that again. For only we who believe can enter his rest. Read that again. For only we who believe can enter his rest. As for the others, meaning as for those who do, who do not believe. God said, in my anger, I took an oath that they will never enter, enter my place of rest. Even though this rest has been ready since he made the world. Verse 4. We know it is ready because of the place in the scriptures where it mentions the seventh day. On the seventh day, God rested from all his works. Hi. Pause. He's trying to tell you that. In that creation story, hmm, where day one, day two, day three, day four, day seven, and the Bible says on the seventh day, God rested. It was actually a picture of how that when people believe in Jesus Christ by faith, they will come into the rest of God. That God had been working for seven days, and after seven day, after the seventh day, he said, then after the sixth day, he said, on the seventh day, I will rest. Do you realize that man was created in the seventh day? The first day of man eh, was God's first day of rest. Are you following me? That's what, that is actually a picture of the fact that God has done all the work in salvation. And by the time he finished the work, he now made us brand new in Christ. So that when we come into Christ, you come into the rest of God. So in Christianity right now, 
There is no work we can do to end salvation. Instead, we rest in the finished work of Christ. This is the Sabbath of Christ. Just the same way in the Old Testament, man began his life in God's Sabbath. We have begun our own life in Christ's Sabbath. So, just the same way Christ has finished all the works and sat at the right hand of God and he, has, he is in his rest right now. We have begun in his rest. So, let me tell you what he's doing here. He's preaching to Hebrews. These are Jewish people. So, he may not hit you the way it's hitting the Hebrews. Because all of a sudden, all the things they have been reading in the Torah, gradually they cannot begin to see it in the lens of Christ. Like, ah, oh, oh. So that thing that God did was not just about creation. It was actually about the rest that will come in Christ. <laughs> Verse 6. Seeing therefore, let's go back to King James, please. Verse 6. In King James. Seeing therefore it remained that some must enter therein, and they to whom it was first preached entered not in because of what? Unbelief. So when you don't believe the gospel of Christ, you have removed yourself from the rest of God. Verse 7. Again, he limited a certain day, saying in David, Today, after so, a long, after so long a time as it is said, Today if ye hear his voice, had it not your heart. This is actually a Jewish way of preaching the gospel, trying to say, now, that time when they heard his voice, they rejected it. But right now, you Hebrews, as you're hearing his voice, don't harden your heart, right? Verse 8. For if Jesus had given them rest, then would he not afterward have spoken of another day? That Jesus there actually is Joshua. So he's trying to say that if Joshua led the children of Israel into Canaan, if they came into rest, David would not prophesy about another day that is going to come. Where they will receive rest. See, Bible study. That, okay, look at NKJV. NKJV says, If Joshua had given them rest, then he would not afterward have spoken of another day. Verse 9. There remained therefore a rest to the people of God. So it's time to say that you Israelites, you are the people of God. Even though you entered into Canaan, there remained therefore a rest that you have not come into. For the fact you entered into the Canaan land does not mean you have come into the rest of God. There is still a rest that you must partake of and that rest actually is in Christ. Are you with me? So verse 10. It says, For he that is entered into his rest had ceased from his own works as God did from his... Let me tell you, this will bust their Jewish brain. So, right now, when you are telling them he has seen from his own works, they will be like, what? Wait, wait, wait. So you are telling us that once we come into this rest, all the sacrifice of killing lambs of bulls and goats and all those things we do, we no longer have to do them. Yes, because you have come into the rest right now. You are in the Sabbath day. Are you with me? So he's trying to tell you that you have ceased from your own works. Not that you have ceased from works, but your own works. So the gospel of God's grace in Christ Jesus says that when you are saved, you will produce good works. Not before. Your works before salvation don't count. Just the same way you are attending classes hmm, before admission does not count. It is after you have entered into the rest of the admission, then you can begin to do good works. Do you understand it? Why did I have to go this route? So that you will see that the issue of us producing works is a deep thing in the Bible. It's very serious. 
I'm saying, Pastor, but the Bible says, Walk out your salvation with fear and trembling. All this drama you're approaching, I don't understand it. The Bible says, Walk out. Walk out your salvation. Thank God you said, Walk out your salvation, not walk for. Philippians 2, from verse 12. Philippians 2 verse 12. You know what I'm trying to do to you? I'm trying to educate you so much in the word of God so that tomorrow when you are outside talking, I come for Brother Isaac. He was talking in the office. They asked him, what church do you attend? Say, how come? How come you know Bible like this? Let me tell you something. How many of you have met Jehovah's Witnesses before? You know, 89% of what they teach is false doctrine. From the incarnation to the deity of Christ, they believe Jesus Christ was not God in the flesh. They believe he was an archangel. Listen, he was a, if he was an archangel, he doesn't have the power to save you. Are you with me? He had to be man enough to die for you and God enough to save you. So if, you see, the ministry of, of, of the church is what you believe will affect your eternal destiny. It's serious. So they say he's an archangel. And they teach so much eh, that if you are not careful, you, are, you might be confused. If you don't know the truth like this, ha, you can't withstand them now. Many people that all they just hear in church is politics and... <laughs> there is too much work here for me to be talking about APC and PDP. But get your PVC. Amen. If you know a good center, please, I, know, I want to get my own. Because this year, this 2023, I must vote. In the name of Jesus. Philippians 2 verse 12. It says, Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not in my presence only, but now much more in my, in my absence, walk out your own salvation with fear and, and trembling. What does this mean? That word, walk out, is an exercise term. You only work out what you already have. You can work out your muscles because you have been given your muscles. Are you, are you with me? You can only work out your muscles because you have muscles. So when he's telling you, work out your own salvation, it's because you have received your own salvation and now you can work it out. So when you are born again and you begin to serve the Lord and grow spiritually, it's like exercise. You are working out your salvation. You have been saved already, but you are working out what God has worked in. Praise the Lord. And how do you do it? Verse 13. For it is God which worketh in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. So, what happens? When you get born again, God will begin to work in you, both to will and to do. He will begin to influence your desire. Suddenly you say, I want to pray more. It's like I should be praying more. I, I need more of the word of God. So, you, you go to a church like this and they are teaching like, Kai, I like this teaching. I want to. You go to YouTube. And you start hearing more of the teaching. In the process of doing that, you don't know. You think it's all about you. But your will is being influenced. He's working on your will for you to do the work. Are you with me? So it's not just about you doing the work. There is grace to support you. And when you start, his energy will be pushing you. When you want to be tired, he will push you forward. Me, I don't tire, I don't tire. He will still push you. For it is God that worketh in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Say after me, I have received grace. Tell them I have received grace. Tell them I receive grace. Receive grace. Glory. Glory. 
Hallelujah. Our time is up. Okay. And there is yet revelation for the people of God. There's so much. So, I have not handled I'm a new creature, I'm dead to sin, so why do, do I still struggle? So there are some people that some people get born again and they come into the reality of what we are saying immediately. Some people get born again and they still have some struggles. Why does that happen? I've not talked about how to put to death the deeds of the flesh. I've not talked about when a Christian falls into sin. Because for, for a Christian, sin is a mistake, not a planned work. If a, you see, if a person looks forward to committing sin, like he says, okay, tomorrow I will go there and I will do that, I will commit that sin. And he's not, he's not, he's not a Christian. He's not saved. The Bible says, if any man sin, First John chapter 2 from verse 1, it says, if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Can I see? This morning when praying, I was asking God, after this grace teaching, should I not just talk about understanding salvation? Because when I'm telling you that a Christian cannot plan to sin, you will be doubting me until we look at the Bible. You will discover that many of your friends are not saved. Many of the people who you know that were going to church, yes, they were not saved. Because there are signs that the Bible gives about salvation. One of them is that you'll be zealous for good works. You see this thing we used to say that... Um, me, I'm not a gym, 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 gym Christian. I'm, I'm chilled. I'm just, just chilled. Then, those people, they are the ones, ah, now then carry church for it. Now then carry, now evangelism, did they go? Prayer, did they go? Did they cry for about Jesus? Everything Jesus, ah, God, but me, I'm just, God knows that I like karma, but I'm just chilled. <laughs> it's not about you. Open the Bible. You may find out that <laughs> you are not saved or your journey may have started eh? and you are still yet carnal. praise the Lord so I'm still fasting and praying and asking God let him tell us if we should continue understanding salvation in the month of May so after me I'm blessed we still have Godly sorrow. We still have righteousness, consciousness, and sin consciousness. Father, we give you praise. Were you blessed today? So I will do something I've not done in a while. All, of all I've thought today, do you have any question? There is something in your mind, a question bothering you from all I've said. Just raise your hand. Let's tackle it now. Any question? Sometimes I'm not saved by works. But when I'm saved, I produce good works. You have a question, please. There's one particular question I'm expecting. But. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. You can put the camera towards him. I want to ask why is it that most Christians, despite that, I was, I, was, I was really expecting you to maybe take that teaching, that particular, the one you wanted to do. Why is that most Christians, after they are giving their life to Christ, yes, you still find a trace of 
what they were doing before they gave their life to Christ. I un- good. I understand. When you kill a chicken and you cut the head of a chicken and the chicken is running, is that chicken alive or dead? Okay. Some people say he's dead, he's alive, <laughs> he's dying. So, what about when you catch the chicken? You is confirmed dead. But it's sometimes just like this. As though he's alive. It's kicking. <laughs> If you have genuinely put your faith in Christ Jesus, the Bible says you are dead to sins. But there's something else you must do. It's called, in Romans 8, it's called you mortify the deeds of the flesh. So that's not your deeds, it's the deeds of the flesh. So even though you are saved, your salvation is first of all in your spirit. But you have a body of earth. Are you hearing what I'm saying? You have a body of earth which was the consequence of the fall of Adam. See, that is why in the redemption chapter, you are still going to receive a new body. Because this body is judged. Hallelujah. You have a body of earth and sometimes that body of earth can act up. Have you been in a situation where you, that is what we see in Romans 7. Paul will say, what I want to do. I find myself not doing. What that struggle you see in Romans 7 actually is the struggle between the inward man and the outward man. The inward man is your spirit and your soul. The outward man is your body and your five senses. So sometimes, even you, after you spoke in tongues, you now go out and you now see a lady that did not dress well and open that cleavage small. And the breast is showing somehow. You're a man of God though. But... You look like this. My God, Jesus. Your unrecreated flesh be telling you, look again now. Look again. Just, just look, look. What you need to do is to remind yourself of Romans 6 and mortify the deeds of the flesh. But you see, many Christians are not trained that way. Like, that's an teaching. They are, not, they are not trained enough to know that I am saved. My spirit man is saved. I'm a new man. But I must submit my flesh to the, the work of God in my spirit. Remember, of his fullness we have received. This thing is spiritual first. Praise the Lord. So you have to tell your, 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 your body, body, I'm going to put you to death. Even though you are trying to show yourself, you will come under. And you have the power to put it under. Are you with me? Because of your new man in Christ, you have the power to say no. You have the power to. Check very well. All those times people were tempted. When they said no, after a while, the temptation calmed down. But when the temptation is rising, it's between ourselves. If you don't do me now, you die. If you don't, if you don't do me. It's the deeds of the flesh. Praise the Lord. Another question. As you grow, you will gain mastery. This is why we must teach. Hey, question. Okay, let me take Brother Donna. Okay, okay, the mic is already there. Okay, let me hear from you. You actually say something about grace, salvation, and 
education. So, and also faith. So, I've been thinking about it. How can one be saved? Is it by grace? Or adding grace, salvation, or justification, or okay. it's still complicated. Okay, I know I've said a lot of things, but how are you saved? A person is saved by, first of all, realizing that you deserve to die for your sins. A person is saved, first of all, you must see the consequence of your sins. The Bible says, the wages of sin is death. You must see that there is a justice system that God has. Whether you believe it or not, whether you choose to accept it or not, God is a judge and he is just. And he has told us that the wages of one sin is death. So imagine you have committed 100 sins. That means you deserve to die 100 times. You must see that you cannot pay for yourself. Are you with me? This is it's not just because I'm saying it. You must see. Have you ever been in a point where you wanted to judge yourself and you felt like killing yourself? That's actually what you truly deserve. When you look at the sufferings of Jesus Christ, that's the kind of punishment that we deserved. Do you want to know how much you deserve to die and suffer? Look at what God just going to take that city, the passion of the Christ, and watch it. You have an idea of how much God's supposed to met out on you. But it does not stop there. That alone cannot save a man. But that's the beginning. You must also see that God has decided to wave that off for you because Christ has taken it for you. So you are saved by grace through faith. The only thing that God requires you to do is faith. Are you with me? What is faith? I believe. So how is a man saved? A man is saved by saying, Lord, this thing you did for me, I believe that that is what I need and I receive it. If you do that, you have been saved. So, I want to ask you, will you believe? I'm not joking. Everybody close your eyes. So I want you to pray with me and anybody who is here, say after me, Lord Jesus. If you are here and you are not sure, you believe. Say after me, Lord Jesus. I believe you died for me. I believe you were buried for me. And you rose up again for me. I put my faith in your sacrifice for me. I put my trust in you. I do not put my faith in my own good works. But I put my faith in you. Have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. Now and forever. Make me your child. In Jesus name. Amen. Amen. Shall glory. Last question and we are done for today. Last question. Begin to package your offerings. Praise the Lord. Praise Master Jesus. Now I have a question here now. In 1 John chapter 3 verse 6. The Bible says. Whosoever abided in him. Sinned not. And uh, whosoever sinned. Have not seen him. Let her know him. Verse 6. Now verse 9 says. Whosoever is born of God. Does not commit sin. For his seed remained in him. And he cannot. He cannot. Because he is born of God. Okay, so he what's the cannot, question? Now, now the Bible is saying here, whosoever is born of God cannot not sin. sin. So the depth in that 
statement. Okay. So let me explain. First of all, there is something called rendering. What's rendering? When the scripture is translated from Greek Sephardians to King James to normal English. Are you with me? Are you with me? Secondly, there's something called context. Are you with me? That verse of the Bible, what's the time? Jesus. So, let me show you how context works. First John 3. Praise the Lord. You read from verse, let's read First John 3 from verse 3 to 4. It says, and every man that had this hope in him purified himself even as, in his, as he is pure. Whosoever committed sin transgressed also the law. For sin is the transgression of the law. First of all, the Christian in Christ Jesus is not given the law of Moses. So, on that ground alone, he cannot commit sin regarding the law. Are you with me? That's context. So, before you get to verse 9, there's verse 4. However, that's not all. The depth of that scripture is actually trying to tell you that if you are born again, you cannot continue in sin. Are you with me? Because if this is what he's saying, are you telling me that Peter was not saved? Because after Peter got saved and even though did miracles, there was a time he went to is it Galicia now. And his Jewish friends came and they actually did what we can call a demonstrative lie. He saw the Jews coming. And pretended like he was not eating with Gentiles and just went away. That is why the grace of God pays for your past, your present, and future sins because sometimes God knows that you may make a mistake even without knowing. So, but he's trying to tell you that if the seed of God abides in you, you cannot continue in sin. Let me tell you, it is so strong that actually if you grow spiritually, a point will come in your work with God where you cannot even have a trace of sin in your life. Yes. But that to be the result of spiritual growth. Are you with me? It's that strong. That's why you see John talking like that. Cannot sin. This is why eh? <laughs> hey. when I hear that a man of God stole money, maybe he stole church money. I can understand. I say, okay, maybe pressures of life and temptation. But when I hear that the man of God committed adultery, or you were sleeping with people's wives, you were just sleeping with people, that you were sleeping with girls in the church. Not that it happened once, but it was continuous. Are you with me? Because John is saying his seed. What's, what happened to the seed of God? Prepare for more teachings. Hallelujah. Can I tell you something? When the seed of God is in you, eh? <laughs> have you ever heard of the that thing called the dealings of God? The dealings of God. The dealings. There are certain things that before you do, you may even die. 
the seed of God is impossible. Ah, continue. Just except you carry your two hands eh, and you blocked the spirit. You blocked the spirit and said, this thing I must do it. You, you did the work to commit that sin. You, you have to fight because the seed is too strong. You will have to have worked hard and worked hard and worked hard to fight that thing. The seed of God. Now, but say, Pastor, I know somebody. All the teachings we've been having towards the ending of this grace series is trying to answer some questions in the minds of well-meaning people concerning the grace of God in Christ Jesus. And yesterday, we began explaining that or answering questions such as, is the grace of God a license to sin? And we said no. We said the grace is freedom from sins not and not freedom to sin. It's freedom from sins and not freedom to sin. Then we also answered, is grace against works? No. We ex- explained that grace is God's supply to do good works, not only forgiveness of sins. We explained that grace is a teacher. That even after your sins have been forgiven, grace goes further and makes you a new creation in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. So the reason why we don't continue in sin after we receive the grace of God is because we have become new creatures in Christ Jesus. Are you with me? But you see, there's still more. We've taught a lot, but there is still more. You know, sometimes it feels like let's just do a sharp teaching and just run away. But I ask myself, if Jesus is truly coming soon, and he is, are you with me? Then at what point are we going to study those things that we are always jumping? Are we together? So imagine Jesus comes today. How much of the Bible have you studied? How much of the gospel have you experienced and enjoyed before he came? Do you know that there are some parts of the Bible, even in the New Testament, that some Christians have never opened, not to talk about study. They don't even know it exists. Are you with me? Some of them have even seen it and don't even understand a bit of what it means. So, for instance, in this Romans 6 we were talking about, we talked about Romans chapter, one, chapter 6 from verse 1 to 7, right? We didn't even look at verse 8 to verse 23. So, what is all that for? It's for us. So, can we continue from verse 8? So, Romans chapter 6. This weekend's program It's a time to just come and soak in God. We may not teach more than 20 minutes in any of the days. Sunday will be, we may teach like 30, 40 minutes. Then we'll worship and we'll receive miracles. Amen. Because you see, spiritual growth is not just teaching. There is an experiential part of it. There are things that bring you into the experience of what you heard. 
Are you with me? One of them is prayer. Another of them is worship. Another of them is evangelism. Some of them are just practical. Some of them are things you have to practicalize. So for instance, if you are a Christian and you've never had that experience where you just felt like giving and giving and giving, then you've not experienced what we talk about, what we talked about in March. It's happened to me a lot of times where I have money and I feel like I should just divide it into half and give the whole half away. And I've done it many times. Praise the Lord. Sometimes you don't even divide into half, just. But you know, you grow. Praise the Lord. There are some things I've done I will not advise you to do. Hallelujah. So Romans chapter 6 from verse 1. I will read down and just, I won't explain verse 1 to 7. I'll just jump into verse 8 and start explaining. Romans. Try and put on all the group charts that the live stream is going on. Okay, you've done that. Okay. Sorry, I'm asking too many questions. Have you ever felt like you wanted to sing a song to God, but all the songs you know is not that song? All the songs in your head is not that song that you want to sing. This weekend, we must sing new songs. Amen. Romans 6 verse 1 says, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer daring? Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Amen. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. Glory! Glory. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin. Glory! Glory. Verse 8. Now, if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Knowing that Christ being raised from the dead died no more, death hath no dominion over him. Look at that. It says, knowing that Christ being raised from the dead died no more, death hath no dominion over him. Oh God. Meaning, because he has died and risen again, and he will not die again, that means death does not have dominion over him. Now, what you realize here is doing what we can call the mirror principle. Look at Jesus, then you know yourself. So, if death doesn't have dominion over him, that means even us who believe in him, death should not have dominion over us. Now, somebody will say, are you saying Christians who are born again will not have to die physically? Not exactly. Because when you study what we call the doctrine of the resurrection 
from the dead, there is what is called the, the, the chapter of the gospel or the full scope of the gospel. When you get born again, the, recre- the recreation work of God begins first in your spirit. So your spirit man is recreated. Your mind is being energized. You begin to grow spiritually like we are doing. But what about your body? Eventually, you receive a new body. Just the same way you receive the new spirit and your mind is being renewed. Are we together? You will eventually receive a new body. But that cannot happen now. Because flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Are you with me? So at the coming of Christ, even those who were dead in Christ, long time, they will receive a new body. It's called the heavenly gift. And listen, it will be as real and actually more real than what you are experiencing right now. Praise the Lord. So even us, death doesn't have dominion over us. Are we together? It says, knowing that Christ being raised from the dead dieth no more, death hath no dominion over him. For in that he died, he died unto sin once, but in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Glory! Verse 11, likewise reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Are you seeing this now? So he's saying, just the same way Christ died unto sin once and is alive unto God. Likewise, look at yourself in the same way because actually you've been baptized into him. You are one with him. His reality is your reality. Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God. Seven me, I'm alive unto God. I am dead unto sin. I'm alive unto God. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Glory! Now, based on the instructions or the revelation he has put forth, he now gives you an instruction in verse 12. Let not sin therefore reign in your words. Mortal body is sentient as body of death. So, it's a mortal body it has mortality inside of it. Let not sin reign in your mortal body that they should obey it in the last year of... Do you remember when somebody was asking, what about people who are born again and they are still struggling? The reason is, you, you can decide whether you will obey the mortal body or not. Are you with me? Because the recreation work of God or the recreative work of God is in your spirit. But your mortal body is still here. <laughs> Are you with me? You can decide to obey it or disobey it. So there is a difference between a Christian who sins or who committed sin or who commits sin and an unbeliever who is a sinner by nature. Did you get what I just said? There's a Christian who has not learned how to disobey the flesh. 
He is yet carnal. So there are some Christians who commit sin because they have not learned how to disobey the flesh. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. He now says verse 13. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. For sin shall not have dominion over you. (laughs) Are you seeing this now? It says sin shall not have dominion over you. For ye are not under the law, but under grace. Oh, that means for those who are under the law, it's not just that they wanted to sin, number one, or that their flesh was trying to get them to sin. There was a law that made them sin. They, they were under bondage. So there were sometimes people sinned in those days that it was not even because of their flesh. It was not because of their desire, but it was because of a system. Are you with me? A system that even if they did not want to, <laughs> they, you must. Praise the Lord. He says, for sin shall not have dominion over you. For ye are not under the law, but under grace. That means you have been freed from that law. You have been freed from that bondage. So that means you have been freed from that bondage. Glory! He now says, in verse 15. Well, let me read from verse 14 to verse 15 together. It says, For sin shall not have dominion over you, because ye, ye are not under the law, but under grace. What then shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? God forbid. Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are, ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of Obedience unto righteousness. Pause. If you read this verse 16, you will think what he's telling you is this. You will think he's saying, so as a Christian, now you can now decide whether you yield to sin or to, to righteousness. He's, you will think he's trying to tell you that now that you are born again, you have been freed from, great, from the law or you've been freed from the bondage of sin and you can now decide whether you will commit sin or you will Walk in righteousness. But instead, he takes you back to the very thing he talked about initially. Can we read it together? Bible study. Verse 14 says, For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? God forbid. Know ye not that whom ye yield yourselves, servants to obey, his servants ye are, to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. Verse 17. Everybody read verse 17 together. But God be thanked that ye were servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered to you. Oh, so 
at what point did you actually yield when you obeyed the doctrine of the gospel let me tell you something praise the lord i discovered something from what he's saying he's actually talking about something very deeply spiritual when you hear the gospel how do you hear the gospel is it not through your ears and through your mind he's trying to tell you that if you hear the gospel through your ears and through your mind and believe it in your heart it will affect your spirit. that means the mind is a gateway to the spirit that's powerful he's trying to tell you that from the day you heard the doctrine of the gospel believed it you yielded are you following me you yielded yourselves and you obeyed that doctrine that was committed to you from then on you have become a servant of righteousness it says but god be thanked that ye were servants of sin but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you are you with me or which was delivered to you now everybody read verse 18 together one two three go Are you seeing that? Tell them I'm a servant of righteousness. He says, being then made free from sin, ye became servants of righteousness. What does that mean? That means for the Christian, walking in righteousness is not just about, I feel like doing it. I don't feel like doing it. You are a slave of righteousness. You are under compulsion. You are under a bondage to be righteous. Hmm. Read verse 18 again together. Read verse 18 to get again. Read it again. Being then made free from sin, ye became the servants of righteousness. Shaftami, I'm a servant of righteousness. Shaftami, I'm a servant of righteousness. Ha, this is serious. It means that we cannot but be righteous. Haven't you been in times, those people who are generally saved understand what I'm talking about. There are many times where, you know, people have looked at Christians and some certain Christians and some certain men of God and have said things like, man, this guy is a holy man. How is he doing it? It's not about how is he doing it. No. He's under a system. The problem is, there are many believers who have loved the world too much that we are doubting if we, the way they, they, they act towards the world, eh, we doubt if they truly are born again. A Christian can be tempted, but a Christian cannot continue in sin. A Christian can sin. He can, he can fall. Are you with me? But the Bible tells us that a righteous man will fall, but he, he will fall seven times, but he will get up. Meaning, he, his nature will not allow him to keep him there. Are you with me? Sometimes I am a servant of righteousness. So, if we have become servants of righteousness, if we have been made free from sin, why 
to believers still struggle. First of all, why some believers still struggle with sin is because they don't know who they are. They have not become conscious and aware of this. Are you with me? They have not become conscious and aware of what God has made them. So I will read this and we will jump a little. Verse 19. He says, I speak after the manner of men because of the infirmity of your flesh. For as ye have yielded your members servants to uncleanness and to iniquity, unto iniquity, even so yield your members servants to righteousness unto holiness. So now, this is what we used to explain before. Because you have yielded to righteousness in the gospel, now yield yourselves to righteousness practically. Are you with me? The first level of yielding is because you yielded to the gospel. And now you have become a servant of righteousness. The next step is also yield yourself to righteousness because right now the system of righteousness is at work in you. Are we together? For when you were servants of sin, you were free from righteousness. What fruits had ye then in those things whereof ye are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now being made free from sin and become servants of God and become servants to God, ye have your fruit unto holiness and the end everlasting life. Hallelujah. So we'll jump the last verse. And we'll jump to chapter 8. And you'll see the reason why many people still struggle. The answer is in chapter 8. Romans chapter 8 from verse 1. It says, there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For what the law of the, for the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death, for what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God sent his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. Pause. Do you realize that in chapter 6, he made no mention of the spirit? In chapter 6, he was just telling you that you cannot continue in sin because one time you were servants of unrighteousness, now you are a servant of righteousness. How can you continue in sin? Don't you know that you were baptized into Christ? You were baptized into his death? What you are not seeing is that verse chapter 6 actually emphasizes the legal framework for which you are made righteous. But in chapter 8, he begins to put the practicality down that even though you have been made righteous in Christ by his redemptive work, if you don't walk after the spirit, there will still be some traits as though you are in the flesh. Because the ideal state do you know this thing they used to call iodine gas? In chemistry, or no, not chemistry, chemistry, okay. iodine gas is chemistry, right? In economics, they will say demand 
is always proportionate to supply. I'm not getting it well, but I'm trying. Inversely proportional to supply. All things being equal. You see that all things being equal is very important because they are telling you that this law is actually the right law. This is what it is. If this factor and that factor are put in place. So that means this law is correct. However, sometimes if things are not in place, if all these are not equal, it can influence this law and it will be as though this law is not correct. So, in the same vein, there is a way God has structured the new creature in Christ. He has made him a victor. God has made him free from sin. God has made him righteousness. Those things are true and you will see the reality of those things if you walk in the spirit. Are you with me? If you walk in the spirit, all the things that God has said about you will become your reality. But if you don't walk in the spirit, even though God has made this, 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 and this your reality, you will not see it in your life. Did you get that? So in Romans 8, you will see him say, There is therefore now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. Because, listen, those who are in Christ Jesus ought to walk in the spirit. If they don't walk in the spirit, they will not see the blessings of being in Christ. Are you with me? That has confirmed something. Next month, we are talking about the spirit. Are you following me? It says, there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. Oh, you have been made free, but if you don't engage the law of the spirit of life, mm, if you don't engage this, this law of the spirit, do you realize they call the spirit a law? He called the spirit of life a law. This week's devotion, I was going to talk about what I called the priority of the spirit. But I said, let me introduce the subject first. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. Ah, why are you saying law of the spirit of life? I thought you just said that we have been baptized into Christ, we have been made free from righteousness. Why are you talking about the law of the spirit? Now, for you to get verse 2 in chapter 8, you need to understand chapter 7. The summary of chapter 7, Paul is talking about the fact that the things I want to do, I cannot do. The things I don't want to do, that I seem to have energy to do. And I explained on Sunday that the struggle between the outward man and the inward man. Why is it so? Because the outward man, even though you have been born again, 
The outward man is still under the law of sin and death. What's the law of sin and death? The law of sin and death is what you want to do, you don't have the power to do. It's called death. Meaning, there is no life, there is no energy to do what you ought to do. But the things you don't want to do, you have power to do it, it's called sin. Do you get that? That's the law of sin and the law of death. The law of sin and death is at work in your mortal body. Are you with me? That is why when you want to pray, the sleep and the tiredness is more. It's called the law of death. But when you want to watch Arsenal versus Chelsea, there is life. It's the law of sin. <laughs> Not that watching football is a sin, but it is the law of sin that makes your body have more strength. Are you with me? When it's time to gist from now to forever, there is grace. <laughs> there is no grace. There is strength. <laughs> that is law of sin. Have you discovered when people want to talk about bad things, that's when they are intelligent. When they want to plan how to steal, you will just see strange kind of wisdom. It's sin that is at work in them. It's not wisdom. But that same person, you get him born again. So how will I start? Where do I start from? See, this Bible, I said, open and sleep, they catch me. What he needs to know is that, listen, this thing you have come into eh, is not by your flesh. You have to engage the law of the Spirit. How do you engage the law of the Spirit? He shows us. Praise the Lord. It says from verse 2, For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free. Glory! From the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak to the flesh, God turned his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. So, are you seeing that the righteousness of the law is already fulfilled in us, and then we walk after the spirit? Are you with me? So, the redemptive work of Jesus Christ is the legal framework for the righteousness of the law to be fulfilled in us, because we are going to walk in the spirit. Are you seeing this? Then verse 5. He says, For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh. But they that are after the spirit, the things of the spirit. How do you engage the law of the spirit? Put your mind on the things of the spirit. Gradually, what are you seeing? You see the same thing I explained on Sunday. We are not saved by works, but we are saved for works. We are not saved by putting our mind on the things of the Spirit. We are saved by believing the gospel. Are you with me? Receiving the truth of the gospel. Are you with me? And then, that is why. And then, we can now begin to put our mind on the things of the Spirit. And then, it begins to influence us. That is why, when you were growing up as a child... Maybe if you were born into a Christian home, your parents may have been praying and been preaching the Bible, talking about the Holy Spirit. You were there, oh. <laughs> are you with me? You, may, you were there, but you were angry. They were trying to get you to put your mind on the things of the Spirit when you have not received the Spirit. Are you with me? They were trying to do what's supposed to be a consequence consequence of believing the gospel 
You say, instead of you to be reading your Bible, you are playing. Instead of you to be listening to messages, listening to messages. He has not been saved. <laughs> it is after he has been saved that when he puts his mind on the things of the Spirit, it will begin to influence him. Praise the Lord. Says for they that are carnally minded, for they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the spirit, the things of the spirit. So anything that can increase the work of the spirit in your mind will increase the work of the spirit in your life. When you start praying in tongues, when you start worshiping, when you start reading the Bible, you see that work of the spirit within your spirit will begin to expand. And it will begin to bring you into your true reality of who you are in Christ as explained to us in Romans 6. Are you with me? It says, For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. So he's trying to tell you that carnality in your mind is actually the way you were when you were dead spiritually. But now that you have been recreated, don't keep your mind there. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. This is one of my best verses ever. But for to be carnally minded is death. But to be spiritually minded. People who are close to me, I can't count how many sermons I have called spiritually minded. <sighs> to be spiritually minded is life. Have we not tried praying before? And in the first 20 to almost 40 minutes of your prayer, it looked like nothing was happening. Then as you prayed longer, it began to seem as though your spirit began to respond. Let me tell you something. That experience is, is, is true for you because you are saved. But if you call somebody who is not saved, see, you may, you may get tired anymore. Have you been in services where they come and tell people, let us pray in tongues first. And you now see somebody, when they start praying halfway, you see somebody inside the church just looking at everybody. After a while, he's tired, he sits down, he wants to start sleeping. Do you know why it's like that for him? He's not saved. So what is beginning to excite other people and it's like my spirit is beginning to rise. No, his own is dampening. Do you understand that? For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace because the carnal mind is enmity against God. For it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then, they that are in the flesh cannot please God. Now, see verse 9. Very important. Calaban Tarapata. Look, Paul. Oh, when Paul is writing, no matter what he explains, he always wants to remind you of who you are. He says, so then, they that are in the flesh cannot please God. So now, if you read from verse 4, 5, 6, 7, you are like, ah, I'm born again, but I'm not supposed to be in the flesh. I'm supposed to be in the spirit. Hey, I need to be in the spirit, not in the flesh. This one, I'm, I'm, this one I'm putting my mind on carnal things. That means I'm in the flesh. He now comes back and says, but ye are not in the flesh. Hey, do you know what they are doing? Do you know if they are watching one kind of funny movie in your house? Do you know if they are serious about their prayer life? He says, but you're not in the flesh. 
But in the spirit, if so be that the spirit of God dwell in you. He's trying to tell you that if you, are in the, if you have the Holy Spirit, you are in the spirit. Even though you are putting your mind on carnal things, if you have the Holy Spirit, you are in the spirit. So what do you do? You should understand that if I have the Holy Spirit, I'm in the spirit. Therefore, I should not put my mind on carnal things. I should live according to my nature. Tell me, I'm not in the flesh. I'm in the spirit. I'm not in the flesh. I'm in the spirit. Because of time, this would have taken me to righteousness, consciousness. Because it's righteousness, consciousness that is making Paul talk like this. What if these people, they are committing fornication now? Are they still in the spirit? Paul says they are born again, they are in the spirit. If you are born again, you are in the spirit. Even though that happened, you are in the spirit. However, because of that, it must not continue. Say after me, I'm in the spirit. Can I tell you something? It takes skill to teach the Bible. Because a man of the flesh or a kind of man wants to say, if I have canal temptations around me. That means I'm not in the spirit. He wants to walk. Instead of walking by faith, he wants to walk by sight. It's still the same, it's still the same thing. Just the same way a man wants to say, I have money when there's money in my pocket. I have money when um, my bank account is telling me there is money. I don't want to walk by what the Holy Ghost is telling me. That's the same way a canal man is saying, I'm in the spirit when I'm speaking in tongues. And I'm in the flesh when I'm not speaking in tongues. Paul is telling you that it doesn't work that way. If you're a spiritual person, you don't walk by your feelings. You don't walk by your flesh. You walk by what the word of God says. He says you are in the spirit if so be that the Holy Ghost is in you. So what do you do? What do you do when you are a believer that seems to, okay, I believe in Jesus Christ. I love God. I have the Holy Spirit. But I'm struggling with this thing. He's trying to tell you, first of all, you must know that you are in the spirit. Therefore, put your mind on the things of the spirits. Praise the Lord. Don't now say because you fell for a temptation yesterday, you now say I'm not in the spirit. I'm not in the spirit, I'm in the flesh. In fact, I'm going to do this in the flesh. It's a lie. Praise God. He says, but ye are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If so be that the spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the spirit of Christ, he is none of his. Verse 10. And if Christ be in you, Look at this. Oh God. He said, and if Christ be in you, the body is dead. If you are, if you are using an authorized King James translation, the is is italicized. So, he says, the body is dead. He's not literally saying the body is dead. He's trying to say, even though the body may be dead because of sin, and now the death here is not even talking about physical death. Even though the body has that traits, those traits of death because of sin, the spirit, now he says the spirit is life, but he's trying to say the spirit gives it life because of righteousness. So even though your body that has become um, dead because of sin or has become a servant of sin, are you with me? Even though this body is dead because of sin, the spirit can impart life to it to do the works of righteousness. Are you with me? And if Christ be in you, 
the body is dead are you with me is dead because of sin but the spirit is life that does not make logical sense is that what trying to say even though the body might be dead because of sin even though the body might be responding to the things of death because of sin even though that the, the body might be crying out for fleshly and deadly things because okay look at nlt nlt and and christ lives within you even though your body will die because of sin the spirit gives you life because of because you have been made right with god hallelujah it's still correct but there is more hallelujah nlt translations it is well i better go back to my king james let me know what i'm explaining the body is the spirit is life because of righteousness do we get that point now so verse 11 explains says but if the spirit that raised up jesus from the dead dwell in you he that raised up christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you are you seeing that this explains the previous verse this is clearer now let me read it again because it seems like people did not see it let's read it again but if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies. Hey! So my, bodies my body is quickened. My bodies, oh, our bodies are quickened by the spirit of God. Verse 12, he says, Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live after the flesh for if we live after the flesh ye shall die but if ye through the spirit do mortify the deeds of the body ye shall live are you seeing this so how do you mortify the deeds of the body you insist that you will do the beatings of the spirit and not of the flesh so it says you are a debtor not to the flesh meaning you don't owe the flesh that responsibility any longer are you with me because he has been explained to you before that one time you were a servant of, this, of sin. So there was a time where you had to obey because you were a servant of sin and of the flesh. But now you are a servant of righteousness. And right now, you are a debtor not to the flesh. You don't owe the flesh anything. Then he now says in verse 14, For as many as I led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Now, what does this mean? You know, when we read this fasting as the spirit of God, they are sons of God, most people think about divine leading in choice of career, choice of job. But in the context of this write-up, the leading of the spirit is ha- that the Holy Spirit. Let's read verse. Let's read verse 11. Verse 11 says, But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mother bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. Are you with me? He says, Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live after the flesh. For if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. Verse 14. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God. What is he trying to tell you? One of the ways the Holy Spirit will help you to mortify the deeds of the body is by leading you out of sin. Did you get that? One of the ways the Holy Spirit will help you what does mortify mean mortify means put to death one of the ways the holy spirit will help you 
to put to death the deeds of sin in your body is to lead you out of sin. Many Christians will talk about testimonies like this that I was in a place where I wanted something bad wanted to happen. All of a sudden I felt I felt something. <laughs> Tell me go. Just go leave this place. What has happened is that the Holy Spirit is mortifying the deeds of the flesh by leading them. Can I tell you something? That leading of the Spirit out of sin is as strong as the leading of the Spirit in your marriage. You didn't get me. That leading of the Spirit not to commit sin is as strong as the leading of the Spirit about the next job to take. So just the same way the Holy Spirit will lead you about other things in your life, he's trying to tell you that he leads us out of sin. And when he does that, it is part of his ways to put to death the deeds of sin in your life. You know the problem? So if you see a Christian struggling with sin, there are two things or three things. Number one, it is that he has not been putting his mind enough on the things of the spirit. Are you with me? Number two, he has not become conscious of who he is in Christ. And number three, he consistently rejects the reason of the spirit out of sin. Have I ever seen that scripture in Galatians 5 verse 16? He says, walk in the spirit and ye shall not fulfill the loss of the flesh. So he's trying to tell you that if your walk in the spirit is strong, you will not fulfill the loss of the flesh. It will come, but you will not fulfill it. Walk in the spirit. If you give yourself wholly to the things of the spirit, if you put your mind on the things of the spirit long enough, and you are conscious of who you are in Christ, and you yield to the leadings of the Spirit, you obey the Holy Ghost when He leads you. If these three things are present in your life, you will not struggle with sin. Somebody say amen. So why do people struggle? Because they think they are strong. They think they are strong. So you, you are scrolling through Instagram. You saw a lady dancing with big behind and opened her breast you say no nothing will happen I'm still, I'm still a man of God I will look at it and be okay and you can feel the Holy Ghost boom, 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 inside you go leave there leave there leave there you say no let's just, let's just look at you small you look small you keep looking small 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 somebody say is all this it does not matter it does not matter it does not matter that means it will not matter in life <laughs> Then you find yourself in an enclosed area with a sister or with a brother saying we can be like this. All of a sudden, you suddenly became aware. Ah, we're alone here. And God is trying to tell you, open the door. Just keep the door open. You say, no, I will handle it. The door does not need to be open. No, the Holy Spirit is trying to help you. You think you are... The Christian's power is not in himself. It's in the Spirit. Say no, keep the door closed. We, we are, we are. Then you start sweating, but, but then you make a move. 
You don't know that. You may not know that. Maybe that sister too is also struggling. And she's also looking hard. This door is closed. Hey, what should we do? And God is saying, it's the Holy Spirit in you and the Holy Spirit in her. He's saying, open this door. You have work to do now. Just open the door. Keep this door open. He say, no. First of all, the reason why you could get to that point is that you, you've not been putting your, your mind on your identity. Are you with me? Number two, you've not been feeding your heart to the Spirit because another person will be with a sister with a closed place and he may never think that. His mind may never go there. But your mind went there because spirit exercise is low. But now that you've missed bench one, bench two, the last one is the Holy Spirit will lead you out of sin. You still want to break that one and think you have power. Nothing must happen now. Yeah, when you are done, you not see it, you not come. Just as I am with that one, please. For me. Because when you not finish, the next response of the Spirit is godly sorrow. The Holy Spirit will not start convicting you. Then you, you start to say, I, I should have obeyed you. I should have just left there. Why didn't you leave since? You know, the, and you know the amazing thing. After all that, God does not now come and say, see them. He still believes that the reason why you didn't get it is because you are still growing. And you know what? He gives you another chance. And another chance. And another chance. And another chance. And another chance. People say God is the God of second chance. See, if God is the God of second chance, all of us were finished. Including the person that sang God is the God of second chance. <laughs> he keeps giving you chances. The issue is that the problem with that is not that God does not keep on forgiving and God does not keep on giving you chances. The problem is that you would have wasted too much time when you're supposed to be doing greater things. It's not that God will not keep on forgiving you. It is that you will be at this, that same spot. He says, by the time you ought to be teachers, you still have people to remind you of the rudiments. When you're supposed to have mastered what the, what the Bible calls perfecting holiness in the fear of the Lord, you are still, you are still leaning on the milk of grace. Are you with me? And you know why? Because when you want to do bigger things for God, the devil will not come with condemnation. I say you. Alako <laughs> parata. You. God's forgiveness is eternal. God's love is forever. But the earlier you master these things, the better. Father, we give you praise. We thank you for this time of Bible study, of worship, of fellowship. We thank you because we are strengthened.